Hello, you're listening to the Thoroughly Good Classical Music Podcast. My name is John Jacob. It's been a few weeks for, in fact, since the last podcast was published. This one, number 113, is the first in a batch, all stored up for Easter 2021 and beyond. And it begins with a conversation with Tenebrae music director Nigel Short. We talk about this year's St John Smith Square Holy Week Festival, which runs from the 28th of March. This inevitably demands an exchange about the music, the acoustic of St John Smith Square, and inadvertently the subject of what is live and not live. And on that last subject, here's a bit of context which might be useful. A recent article written and researched by critic Andrew Clements in The Guardian has triggered this particular subject for me. In his article, he celebrates some orchestra's digital endeavours from 2020 and also doesn't miss out on the chance to have a poke at other organisations' failures, the BBC Proms and the Southbank Centre in London in particular, who, according to him, haven't quite met his expectations in creating concert experiences despite the impact restrictions have imposed over the past 12 months. Boo. He also draws attention to the recent slew of press releases that announce pre-filmed concerts, whatever they are. The issue of what is live and not live is a personal bugbear of mine. Here follows a quick, thoroughly good primer. A live stream is similar to an actual live broadcast, though this isn't necessarily the consensus. If you're looking for an example, the Daily Wigmore Hall Radio 3 simultaneous broadcast and live YouTube stream is a good place to start. Wigmore Hall's John Gilhooley secured an ABO award for his work in creating that space for performers during this past year, though Andrew Clements heralds it as Wigmore's success in a sea of digital disappointment. In actual fact, it's a joint live stream and radio broadcast that is evidence of a cultural partnership that suits both the Wigmore Hall and Radio 3. Most ensembles, except for, say, the Bournemouth Symphony, are at ease only with pre-recorded performances. Such creations offer some reputational insurance. Some artists and ensembles will record as live, meaning that what the audience sees online is one complete take with no corrective patches. In other cases, the audience is served up a filmed and edited performance. These are, as far as I'm concerned, streams. They're all streams but neither are live streams. What's mildly irritating for those of us broadcast nerds and lovers of precision is that many, if not most, of these distinct creations are served up as live streams, available online at a particular point in time, giving the sense that this is a discrete moment in time similar to a live concert, when in actual fact it's just a point in time when a video has been made available. Most live streams are nothing more than videos scheduled to be available at a particular point in time. So the sweet spot for me as an audience member is that which is recorded as live, a complete take of a complete work with no breaks. This creates a sense of live for the performer, which cameras can then capture, with the burden then on the video editor to ensure that every shot tells a compelling story. Which is handy, because it turns out that the Holy Week Festival digital streams are partly that. Captures of complete performances in one take, and in some cases, actual live streams. Referred to here in this podcast for the avoidance of any doubt as live, 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 live. <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, you know, clear for everybody that uh, there's a huge struggle going on in the arts. 
um, and tell everybody, but I, in particular, I worry about the younger musicians, you know, who are just out of university yes. and embarking on a freelance career, you know, wonderfully talented and dedicated, and, and they've really chosen this because they've got a passion for it. And then our, our, our you know, amazing government decided that uh, they wouldn't qualify for any support. Yeah. yeah. So uh, there's a there's an army of young um musicians, actors, you know, all, all these people who are just embarking on freelance careers that have been completely um, stymied and, and left left out to, to dry, which is um, deeply disappointing and, and now very worrying because it's just gone on for so long. What, um, I mean, okay, 60, 60 years cancelled in November, that's, when I hear the figure and I think of the number of people in Tenebrae and the number of livelihoods that's impacted, that's, that's bad, but have you... Have you got things coming in the diary now? Yeah, I mean, the time has been sprinkled with things. So we did one concert in Granada in July, believe it or not. Um, uh, you know, we were allowed, there was a window of time yes. when we were allowed to travel to Spain and back without having to quarantine. So we went for it and it was an incredibly emotional um, time. Uh, we, we sort of started rehearsing and within about... 30 seconds, um, not one of the choir was, was still singing. We were just all, you know, lumps in the throat and, and worse. Um, uh, we, we did something at the Wigmore Hall. You know, John Gilhooley has been absolutely brilliant mm. this year, sort of keeping um, music going almost single-handedly in London. And, you know, he, we were very luckily invited there, and we're going there again on um, Tuesday of Holy Week for another recital. Um, but apart from that... We've had some film sessions that we've done ourselves, but in terms of engagements, it's been wiped out completely for nothing. But do you have anything? I mean, are you aware? I have the sense that things are sort of beginning to, um, you know, build up, possibly because I get lots of pre announcements. I get press releases, which gives me an indication of things being put into diaries. Have you got that lined up yet? Is that is that coming down yes, the track? Yes, I mean, actually, I, just one little correction for that, because we did sing in Snape and also in Canterbury festivals in the autumn, which was um, just brilliant to do mm. those. Um, but yes, the horizon looks good, but of course, it, it, Tenebrae performs a lot abroad, um, probably more abroad than we do here in the UK. And so we've got this double whammy with Brexit at the moment going on and nobody really knows yet um, the full impact of, of what uh, each EU member state is going to demand of us in terms of visas and travel documents and so forth. So it's a big worry. I mean, it looks, looks all right. On the, you know, everything's been shifted. The, most festivals have been fantastic and just said, look, we can't have you for obvious reasons. We will postpone and transfer the engagement to, to next year. Um, and then, or it was to the autumn to start with, and then it was it was postponed again. Um, and so if everything happens, it'll be great. But of course, our, our very small management team are <laughs> fretting, I think mm. is probably the, um, the mm. kindest word, because, you know, they've got such um, a bureaucratic nightmare of a hurdle to get over mm. in, in just getting us to... You know, even one particular venue abroad, um, uh, we can only hope. We can only hope. I, I think there is light at the end of the tunnel. Um, probably at the moment, the way things are looking, it looks like the UK might come out of it 
sooner than the EU, doesn't it? Yes. Um, I mean, that just seems almost incredible, really. And the idea that, <clears throat> I mean, I know from uh, a conference that I attended last week that the idea that social distancing would be completely removed by the 21st of June is like, really? Is that really going to happen? Yeah. Um, I, I, I don't know. Or, or you know, maybe that's a... Maybe that's sort of like a PR milestone for the government, which kind of gives us some hope. I don't know. It just seems like how can that? And that's really a measure of uh, of how rooted we are in the experience. I think now. I mean, I think this time last year when it all started, it was all a tremendous shock, and it's like, oh my god, what's going to happen next, and when will this end? And now it seems so second nature that the idea that it would end is a bit. No, it's not. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And, and there's that nervousness on, on the part of festival promoters and venue, venue um, organisers. You know, are they going to get an audience? Are people actually going to be willing to go into a, you know, especially in the summer, into a, a warm venue, um, sitting next, you know, at close proximity to lots of strangers? And for understandable reasons, I think a lot are very nervous of, of sort of going ahead and booking things. Do so you... it's, it's going to be a slow journey out, I think. Even, even if the, the 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 tape, the red tape is removed, I think it'll take. You're right. We we kind of got used to this now, and there is a fear factor to go back to normal. Um, and of course, it'll only take one mm -hmm. relatively minor spike, and it'll be in the headlines again. Mm -hmm. And who knows what will happen? So we've got to. Try and stay positive, look at the horizon and think, yes, there is light at the end of the tunnel, but be realistic as well about bumps on the road. Uh, something that has uh, rather, I found rather endearing over the period, though, is the um, the fact that St John Smith Square feels as though, I mean, it was always a lovely place to, to attend a concert, but it feels as though it's really come into its own um, during this period because it allows for you know it's it's a configurable space it is a gorgeous acoustic and you know you can either be on the floor or you can be on the stage and the times I've been there and reveled in its acoustic possibly because there's only two or three people in the audience has just been absolutely fantastic you filmed there for Holy Week Festival um what has it been like for you to go back uh, yeah I mean Richard Heeson's done a, a great job like John Gilhooney in sort of keeping um, the London audience and, and, of course, the virtual audience across the world, anybody that wants to tune in, um, keeping them fed with the artistic content. Um, and I have to say, as a performer, um, when St John Smith Square is full of an audience, it's wonderful, but it does dry up the acoustic <laughs> um, And it's one of those venues where you can hear the audience uh, every bit as easily as they can hear you on the stage. So you hear every cough, every sort of you know, crisp, damn, damn. <laughs> crisp bag, sort of rapper, all this kind of stuff. Um, but we went there recently. Yeah, we, we pre-recorded the uh, Palm Sunday sequence, but everything else in Holy Week um, from us is, is being done live. Oh. Um, because so not like not pre-recorded live, as in live, 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 in live, live, live. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, and and that's because they're sort of liturgical events, I call them. Yes. You know, they're they're, they're, they're part service, part concert, um, and so we're we're allowed to do that. Obviously, with all the social distancing measures in place, which you know is you know, I don't want this to turn into a huge moan, but no, it's no. just yet another sort of um, uh, hurdle we've had to get over uh, as as 
vocal artists performing two meters apart. Yeah, we've uh, spoken before. I, I remember on a couple of occasions where I've waxed lyrical about how much I'd, how much I'd love listening to Tenebrae, uh, and uh, I'm not going to do that again now because that just seems really obvious. But how does that impact? You know that that sort of close harmony thing uh, that I get when I listen from to Tenebrae. How how does something like distancing impact on the on the quality of the sound? Do you think? Well, I thought it was going to be huge and and that it would be an insurmountable problem. But I have to say, when we did these films, well, when we performed in Snape and Canterbury. Um, and the Wigmore Hall, all the singers are two metres apart. And the Tenebrae Unlocked films in particular, and we have 19 singers doing repertoire that we know pretty well, Russian and German romantic and early music. Um, I was pleasantly surprised when I listened back to all the, uh, the audio tracks uh, in, in just how um, sort of similar it sounded to when we record when we're standing close together. There's a slight, if I notice one thing, it's a slight reticence from the individual singers because they don't have that sort of energy that they can mm -hmm. feed off when a singer is right next to them. When you hear a singer next to you sort of have a sharp, energised intake of breath, um, it gives you confidence to come in in the same way. And two voices working um, together, very close together, um, has a different kind of experience, physical, visceral experience, if you like, from just lots of soloists. And so I think our, our team have worked very hard when we get together to try and recreate the Tenebrae sound. And they've done an amazing job, but it's much, much harder because they, they don't have that close physicality and, and all the vibrations of two voices sort of working together. So when, uh, were, you, when were you last singing together in normal distance? That's a terrible question, but you know what I mean. Well, yeah, um, well, that must be... The last concert, and do you know what? The last concert, uh, I, I don't even kind of remember what it was. Uh, it was either last March or last February. Wow. So I'm, you know, I'm also interested in how, um, you know, I mean, I felt this when I went to see the London Mozart players record um, their uh, thing with Howard Shelley, their Piano Explored series with Howard Shelley. That just, just stepping into another physical space as an audience member. When I'm used to these, you know, the, this particular box and the box downstairs and the garden and that's it. When you then step into another physical space, it's I had underestimated the physical impact it has on you as an individual. Uh, so that's why I'm sort of interested in how um, how if we become accustomed to the space that we have around us, both in terms of compensating for performance and um, just what it's like, what will it then be like to return? I mean, I imagine that it would be utterly, utterly overwhelming and possibly a little bit too much. Yes, it's almost like you're, you're hemmed in. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. Interesting, you know, some of our singers really enjoy the, the space, um, but I think without any exceptions, everybody realises that they're having to work much, much harder mm. without that sort of collective physical energy going on all the time. You know, when, when you're singing a, a triple F um, and, and every other singer is around you and, and the, the basses are sort of, you know, directly behind the sopranos, it just G's you on to, mm -hmm. to, to really go for it. And they feel much braver. Um, whereas I think, you know, maybe the more soloistic singers 
like their space and they concentrate more. They're more satisfied because they can sing more as soloists. Mm -hmm. But then, of course, you, you, you have people doing different things uh, all the time. And, and sometimes when we did the Tenebrae Unlocked films in St. Augustine's Kilburn, um, one of the singers was, was about 50 or, 50 or 60 feet away from another singer at the, at the other end. And I realised they were singing the same part. And so you're kind of, you know, you, half the time, they're going on muscle memory, mm. you know, and, and, you know, me trying to encourage them to think about the things that we would normally work on when we're really sort of in a tight semicircle. But, you know, they have done an amazing job. Um, you know, when I listened back to the recording, I, I was pretty gobsmacked, actually, at just how accurate they are. Um, even even at a distance, uh, and it, it sort of gave me an opportunity to to see them as individual performers, you know, mm. rather than a collective, and that was rather nice. You sort of get it as a you know a fairly uh, rubbishy, crappy, <laughs> failed professional singer myself. <laughs> oh, not sure. I do remember, you know, that the reason I don't, didn't have a glittering career as a soloist or an opera singer was because I was just a terrible performer. <laughs> and then I, I sort of see these tenebrae singers um, emoting, you know, when they're in their space on their own, as if as if they were, you know, singing as a soloist. And that's been very gratifying, actually, because, you know, when, when they're tightly packed, you know, I'm, I'm mm. focusing on the sound and all the rest of it, and I think they are as well. And this has given them um, another dimension to their performing, which, you know, when we, when we do get back together, um, I, I think it's something we will, you know, we, we've, discuss that we want to be aware of and, and try to work on to develop mm. that's really interesting i um the other thing that i just wanted to know so i won't go into the details of the holy week festival uh because other than to say that it starts uh, online on the 28th of march but the other thing that i just wanted to touch on was that there's something unique about this period especially listening to vocal music of the kind that tenebrae do that I feel as though by being starved of a sort of an ambient experience, there is something hugely reassuring uh, and sort of restorative about hearing some of this repertoire uh, played back, even on a video. It's a very strange thing. A lot of people are very critical about about video, uh, digital, pre-recorded digital streams not being as live or not being anywhere near the same as a live experience. And yet, actually, after an extended period of time, not experiencing it, just hearing bits of it after this oddness is really quite magical. And so I, even though I'm not a person of faith, I find this quite a compelling offer, you know, a compelling experience. Is yeah. there any, any, anything in that that you can help me understand why? Well, first of all, I mean, those people that say, you know, if it's pre-recorded, it's not live, then... Um, just on a practical note, I can reassure them that when we were there, you know, the Palm Sunday sequence is about an hour in length, and we had to record it and film it in three hours. Now, in three hours, you have to have a big break, yeah. and there were all the readings that were done two or three times. So we had time to run the programme once, and and the cameras were then sort of, you know, practising all their angles and all the rest of it. And then it's recorded again with the cameras where, where the, the director, Andy Staples, wants them. So it is... It it's is not boring. easy. You've only got it, one stab. I, you, know, there, you can't 
you can't sort of, you know, if there's a mistake, you can't slip a, a correction in because we didn't record one. <laughs> there isn't one. It's not like a, a recording session. So, you know, I, and when you see these things, I think, you know, the, um, I don't know, the, the personal, um, the individual challenges that everybody's overcoming, I, I can see it on, on singers' faces mm -hmm. and that sort of, that vulnerability, um, I, I, I see in nearly every single video I watch um, and and that sort of you know makes it very human. And oh, very, are you are you talking like beyond yeah beyond Holy Week Festival that any any musicians video you you detect a sort of a vulnerability? Yeah, a lot of them. Uh, I suppose it's the artists that I I would know anyway. Yes, um, and and I can just sort of tell you know that they're not in, they're not in a comfort zone. No, when they're doing this stuff. Um, but you know that makes it all the more human. It speaks to you more immediately. Yeah, there, um, there's a very compelling. There was a um, the deputy orchestral manager at the Ulster Orchestra talked to the ABO conference last week about how one of the unexpected consequences of this period in time was that the players in the orchestra were having to grapple with technology that they wouldn't normally have grappled with in order to record stuff remotely. Uh, it was pushing them out of their comfort zone, and they probably the players on an individual basis, probably contacted the orchestral, st the administrative staff a whole lot more for support in order to manage this technology. And as a result, the orchestra has sort of concluded that there's a, there's a much closer bond amongst players and admin staff. There's a, oh, there's a sense of confidence about having used technology in, you know, having, having pushed them into take them away from behind their music stands and then put them in front of a camera that they have to operate themselves. They're having to do something they wouldn't choose to do. And as a result yes. of it, they've built their resilience up. And last year, I mean, I think we were one of the first groups to do some um, sort of create some virtual um, performances for the BBC that went out on Easter oh, Day. That's right. Yes, yes. Sacred yes. songs. And uh, all the singers recorded it on their mobile phones. Mm. And you know we asked we asked everybody to take a photograph, and it's hilarious. You know, cardboard boxes sitting on a bed, unmade bed, and you know a, a cushion and a coffee cup holding up a phone at the right angle, so that you can see the singers sort of singing into it. And we said, um, look, all the all the recordings need to be sent to us by a certain date. And I think we got to about two days before the date, the the, the sort of company that were putting it all together. Um, had given us and I've got about three out of 19 um, sing, you know, uh, material from singers and I was panicking thinking what on earth going on and then, you know, <laughs> it's in the radio one, times <laughs> one by one they all sort of said you know just having a nightmare dealing with this and and you know so it was really traumatic for some
And then recently I did a project for self-isolation choir mm-hmm. um, run by a guy called Mark Strachan. It's a fantastic thing. It's a global, it's got a global membership now. Uh, I, I don't think anybody's ever you know, met each other, but they've got something like 8,000 members. And very exciting. And we were asked to do this stuff. And I asked the singers if they could put some tracks down together exactly the same on their phone. And yep, no problem. And a couple of days later, everybody had done it. Wow. And, Brilliant. You know, now getting used to it. Um, and I wondered, I wondered too then at the same time whether there is that sort of... Uh, I'm about to make sweeping generalisations here just for the sake of speed and clarity, but um, <clears throat> whether that sort of resistance that there might have been, you know, if you had gone to members of the choir two years ago and said, I think what we should do is we should do this video. And so what I'd like you to do is capture all of this and then send it to me. I imagine there probably would have been quite a lot of resistance to the point that you may have given up on the project. Um, Whereas now, because people have done it and because it's sort of part of their experience, then maybe there's a sort of a, a greater willingness now. I don't know. I, is well, that... I, I mean, I think, you know, um, I, I think had I asked the singers to do it, you know, before the pandemic actually was on us, uh, <laughs> I think they would have laughed at me even more than they normally do. <laughs> right. um, but they, you know, it's uh, a professional musician um, is always, or should I think, always be working on their portfolio of skills. Yeah. Um, these days, it's not enough just to be a performer. You must be an educator. You must have real empathy with you know every part of society to try and get your music out there and to share it. Um, and it, this sort of work going in the te- technology sort of direction is new for most of them, and especially for me, I have to say. I mean, it's my idea of a, you know, my worst nightmare. But you, you've got to get on and do it, um, because if you don't... Mm, <laughs> somebody yeah, somebody else, else will. will. <laughs> there's always somebody waiting in the wings to come on and take your place. So you just have to get on and, and do it. And finally, you know, I'm, I'm even at the point where my old trusty iMac, which is now 20 two years old wow wow <laughs> um is is going to be yeah renewed. is he going to be retired <laughs> yeah yeah and then it'll take me another 22 years to be able to work out how to use the new one <laughs> bless that's that's really sweet um is there anything there's there's one other thing just to mention actually it seems seems slightly weird and inappropriate but you know you are married so i, I must mention uh Grace's Grace Davidson. That's please tell me that's your wife. I hope I haven't made a mistake. <laughs> that would be awful, wouldn't it? Oh no, she's not my wife. She's not my wife at all. Um, she is my wife. <laughs> yes, indeed. Relax. <laughs> um, no, she appears. So I'm aware of her because she appears on Oliver Davis's uh, Solace album. She sings yes. a gorgeous folk song, that, or, or at least it sounds like it's ba- based in a folk song, which I think was was. Uh, was captured all of it was captured remotely and uh i mean you, you must just tell her just tell her it's lovely i know there is a man for me i know he lives not in these parts but down on earth for many years i've watched the human folk without foreseeing i would fall Oh, 
his music is is wonderful, and he's you know they're enjoying huge success at the moment, and it's it's doing very well in America. It's done very well all over Europe. Yeah, and she recorded it here. Um, we, we've got a sort of little hut. Most people call them a studio. Somewhere we sort of had an extension cable going out to the hut because the house is on a road. So if if traffic goes by, then you know you just got a lorry or a a car or a motorbike going through the track. So we had to put her in the garden and um, get an electricity supply out there, and then put up a microphone, and and she did that. Um, And yeah, it's just another thing that we're getting used to, and. um, yeah, I, I like I like Colin's music. There is an immediacy to uh, his musical language, and it's just it's it's oddly not saccharine or overly sentimental. Uh, no. I think it, it he's very fits. versatile as well, isn't he? It's he's got lots of um, strings to his bow. Yes, I hate people like that. I think I think multi-talented people are really annoying. <laughs> and um, he's really nice as well. He's oh really God, no! Well, I'm sorry. Yeah. Jeez. you'd like to tell me that I haven't asked you, sir? Um, no, other than the, the fact that the Holy Week Festival this year, um, we felt it was very important this year just to make it free to everybody. Mm. Um, so anybody can you know, go online and, and have a look at it and look at as little or as much as they want to. Um, you know, the, the whole thing was started many years ago called a, um, a moment of stillness in, in the heart of a sort of beating city, sort of frenetic. And of course, the city's empty now. Um, but I think in many and it's ways, cr- and it's creepy illness. there now as well. Sorry to interrupt you, but it is it is a little bit eerie. A little bit eerie, but there is a calm about it. Mm-hmm. And so, what, certainly, when we went in to do the, the the Palm Sunday sequence, we we just thought actually there is something very magical about being in that church in the dark and you know just you know on our own singing this beautiful music, and hopefully that comes across. Um, and I'm looking forward in Holy Week to doing the services and, and getting there. But yeah, it's it's available for anybody. You know, we it is a Holy Week festival. It, it sort of does have a religious theme, but there's there's music for everybody there. We've got um, the Revolutionary Drawing Room String Quartet, Amici Voice is doing a Matthew Passion. There's Tenebrae um, and uh, Steve Devine and Boyan Chichicha doing the uh, the Rosary Sonatas by Bieber. Um, so that you know, there's there's beautiful music all week, and I think the important thing for us as performers is that we just you know we want people to feel they can come and share it um, for whatever reason. Hmm. Um, 
music is for everybody. It's not just, um, you know, um, a thing that's dedicated to religion. It is a Holy Week festival, and so it does have a theme, but there's just all sorts of beautiful music there, and anybody can listen to it for any reason they like.